Welcome to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I am your host, Donnie Mae. This is the monthly show focused on building conversations around the team-based model approach to athletic performance, strength and conditioning, sports medicine, sports science, mental health and wellness, and sports nutrition. Man, oh man, do we got a special guest for you guys today. Uh, For those of you just kind of picking up on the podcast, the Team Behind the Team podcast, the sole objective is to interview and have conversations based around the team, performance team that surrounds athletic teams. So that's strength and conditioning, athletic training or sports medicine, mental health, nutrition, and applied sports science. So... Those are the five streams we'll kind of pull information from. Today, our special guest that I'm really excited about is Sherry Walters. She's an athletic trainer, and I first heard Sherry at a Perform Better Summit, and she was gave a, a whole lecture on strengthening the pelvic floor for all athletes. I had never heard a topic on that. It was definitely uh, eye-opening and very informative and changed the way I thought about some of my lifting and, and strength work I do in the weight room. So from that point on, I've just kind of kept up with Sherry uh, on and off. We uh, we got to attend the High Performance Symposium with Tim Pillow in uh, Colorado Springs this past May. And so Sherry's in town speaking at our clinic. Uh, the only thing she, she is, there's a couple things against her before she gets started. She is a boomer sooner and an Aggie. She just took a job at Texas A&M. Congratulations. And uh, Sherry, welcome to the show. Well, Donnie, I appreciate you uh, having me uh, both for the podcast and the conference, despite our obvious differences in color, right. color taste uh, and uh, sports teams. Uh, and I would just want to say howdy to uh, everyone listening to the podcast today. That's awesome. Sherry, we're so excited for you. It's going to be a fun rivalry as we uh, – as we see each other across the quarter field uh, in the years to come. So I'm really excited for you and uh, uh, look forward to it. So glad you made it for the show. I appreciate you, Donnie. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I think, you know, in every show, I think it helps to give our listeners uh, just a little context of who they're they're hearing from. So Sherry, can you just, I'd love to, and I've never even heard it myself, just take a little time here and, and tell us your story. You know, where are you from originally? I think you're from a small town in Oklahoma, correct? Yep, Wapanuck, Oklahoma. Population. I can't, I, I can't say that. Population 437 when I'm home. That's right. <laughs> 438 when you're home? 437 no, when, you're home. when, when you're I'm home. Okay, yeah. when you're home. And just tell your story of like where you came from and then how you got into athletic training and what led you to this great, amazing role you have today that you just accepted. Yep. Uh, so for any maybe young professionals or students listening, uh, maybe don't take my route. I went the long way about it. Uh, but I grew up uh, on a cattle ranch in Wapanuck, Oklahoma. Uh, so with that work ethic uh, drove me to uh, try to go to school and uh, get get off the ranch a little bit. I had to work too hard for my dad. Uh, so I went to East Central University. And, and when I went, I didn't really have a major picked out yet. Uh, I was hoping something in the medical field. Uh, and I was set to, uh, to play basketball there and uh, about two weeks before uh, school started I uh, had been in a pretty bad car accident and uh, had dislocated my shoulder so when I showed up for uh, for physicals the athletic training staff led us through those and we uh, had a conversation about that accident my shoulder and so I ended up spending a considerable amount of time in the athletic training room which is how I found the profession uh, obviously fell in love with it because of the the medical portion of it but then also because of my love for sports um, and so I uh, did athletic training there as an undergraduate.
undergrad. From there, I went to uh, Detroit and worked with the mm. WNBA team uh, and then had the opportunity to also kind of intern with the Pistons while I was there. Oh, wow. That's it was amazing. an incredible experience uh, with Arnie Kander there. He uh, Both uh, athlete, head athletic trainers at those places were also physical therapists, uh, and so really encouraged me to go to PT school. But I was already set up to go to University of Florida to go Gators. Oh, um, man. <laughs> and uh, to get my master's in athletic training. And while I was there, I worked football, women's golf, uh, and then went to, to PT school. Uh, I got to spend a little time with Ron Corson at the University of Georgia, Georgia for an internship. Uh, my last internship was with uh, Keith Meister's group in Arlington, Texas, with the, the Texas Rangers group. Uh, first job, stayed there for that. And then from there, went to Indiana State University, where mm-hmm. I was the rehab coordinator. So seeing the long-term rehab for, that, for the athletes there uh, as a physical therapist therapist. And then uh, from there, I uh, went to Exos. It used to be called Athletes Performance. It was based out of uh, Frisco, Texas. And then eventually stepped into the role of overseeing rehab across all five of those legacy facilities. Um, and I think we're going to talk a little bit about how my philosophy changed o- over time, but that's where that change really started to happen for me was during my time at Exos. Um, and then uh, from there, I kind of missed uh, the opportunity to, to work with athletes long term uh, as the athletes mm-hmm. were coming into our facility at Exos. Uh, it was great because we got to work with these highest caliber athletes, but they would come with to us yeah, in seasonal. the off yeah, yeah for the uh, for the off seasons or after a rehab. But I never actually got to see them return to play. Uh, and the other aspect with that, they're already high level athletes. I had the opportunity to work with a three time Cy Young Award winner, uh, Major League Baseball MVP, you know, Super Bowl champions. And so they were already at the highest of highest level, but I didn't really have the opportunity to help young people develop across that spectrum. I wanted to kind of get back into that. And so had the opportunity to uh, join USA Hockey, uh, women's hockey, and I got the opportunity to go with them and win a gold medal in Pyeongchang. Um, And then that, that situation is uh, more on a cycle with the Olympic cycle. It's not a, a full-time position. Uh, and so just recently had the opportunity to take a director role at Texas A&M. Well, that is, you have been a lot of different places. Um, just, again, I think that's amazing that you just, you've, your, your path definitely is not normal or would not be kind of like this is the pattern, right? Uh, you, you say you took the long route. So you've definitely been somebody who's persevered and stuck with it. I think just from the people, the colleagues I know that know you, and just from the little time I've known you, you seem like you're just very passionate and you love your job. Um, What do you love the most about your job? Uh, I think it gets back to the developmental piece, and especially like within a high school setting or a collegiate setting, you have the time to see a kid come into your program, and you have the opportunity to see them develop into a, a whole person. So not just see them develop physically and on the field, but then also what's going on with them mentally, academically, emotionally, and you get to see them grow into a young adult. And then what was so great for me when I was at University of Florida, Chris Patrick had been at that university for over 30 years and guys would come back in to bring their high school age kids to watch a, a football game and they would just come into the athletic training room uh, before or after the game give them a big old bear hug and you know they would catch up and so he was obviously someone that stuck with them in their mind as, as they mm-hmm. moved throughout their life and just to be able to have that sort of relationship with people I feel like there's very few opportunities in life to to be in a career or a position where we we get to know people on that level. 
Yeah, I mean, as an athletic trainer, you get to you see all kinds. I mean, you, you really get in and uh, with people relationally and get to know them and build such trust. Uh, it's such a powerful position to be in. And it takes it takes somebody you got to really love what you do because you got to be patient. Um, just you know, getting to know you the the, the past few years, uh, you've mentioned before you're a cancer survivor, and uh, from what I recall, you said 2008, uh, you got diagnosed with a, a form of cancer, yep. metastatic melanoma. Uh, so wear your sunblock, people. Yeah, and I didn't know that. So when I first had met you, I had no idea. And it was a friend of mine, Tracy Fober, who actually kind of brought it to my attention. And she wasn't like, you know, trying to tell on you or anything, but just she was asking. And I, and I was like, no, I didn't know that you'd been through that. And then she and then she kind of explained everything that you went through the treatments. And, and you, you just told me now recently it was five years. And my level of respect and admiration went through the roof because you can't go through something like that as a human being and it not transform you. How has it changed you as a person and how you work with with people? Um, I'm still pretty goal-oriented, but I think uh, before all of that, that was the focus. Like, basically, not win at any cost, but it's go, 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 very focused academically, um, just kind of get it done kind of person. Um, And something like that, um, and obviously people can't see us during this podcast, and and here most people will say, looking at me in the face, they can't see it, but I essentially had a quarter of my face rearranged, and so I'm very blessed that I had a Macy's makeup lady that told me that she thought it was uh, melanoma and that I should get it checked and get it checked in a hurry. Turns out it was. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yep, so a Macy's makeup lady, I, people had started to comment on it uh, because it had started to change, had started to grow. Uh, so I was trying to find a concealer to cover it up, and she tried for a while and couldn't find anything to cover it. And at the time, I thought it was kind of rude. She, she just said, uh, you know, I think that's melanoma, and the last time I saw one like it, the lady only lasted six months. So I think you should get it checked. Uh, I was pretty upset about it, but it was enough to kind of startle me awake because there had been other people, including a patient who had been a nurse who had advised me several years before to get it checked. And, you know, when you're in your 20s, you kind of think you're invincible. And uh, so I hadn't. Uh, So she kind of startled me awake. And luckily, I got it checked quickly and uh, found out what it was. And uh, the area that I was in 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 Indiana at the time, um, the guy that essentially created the surgery and textbook style was the Mm -hmm. guy that ended up being my surgeon um and so very fortunate that there's minimal scarring and if i have any sort of makeup on you really can't see it at all but through that whole process um multiple surgeries um and and treatments um you kind of have to take a step back and kind of reprioritize what's yeah, important in your life. I can't uh, so I still like to win and, you know, we'll love beating up on Donnie anytime <laughs> that the Haggies and the Longhorns meet. Easy now, easy. <laughs> but obviously uh, we're still going to be friends because for I have sure, different sure. priorities in life. Yeah. So thank, thank you for sharing that, by the way. We appreciate it. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad that you, you're a fighter and everything worked out because you're awesome. Um, I, so I've been creeping on you a little bit on social media. This year, you've taken some big trips. I've had some unbelievable trips. And yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm like I, Sherry, you're living like your best life now. Right and now. I feel like I'm like wasting my life. What, just share with the, the audience, what, just briefly, what you what have you been doing this year? Yeah. So uh, part of that, too, is just a perspective, like a uh, shift uh 
even when I had got been diagnosed, I had always wanted to, to go to Australia. Koala bears uh, were my favorite as a kid, and it was a mission in life to, to go see a koala bear. And during the process at Florida, got uh, scuba certified to scuba dive mm-hmm. the Great Barrier Reef. And so part of that for me, I love to travel. And with athletics, we know we get to travel a lot, but lots of times we don't get to see things when we do. Yeah, a tight schedule. A yeah. tight schedule. Uh, and we have job responsibilities uh, to take care of people. Uh, so I've kind of made it a priority to, to be able to experience some of those things. And I had a, a big birthday year this year. So uh, one of those things, a kind of bucket list items was to uh, get up uh, in Tanzania, up a big mountain there called Kilimanjaro. So I don't highly recommend it if you want me to be honest. <laughs> the lungs may never be the same. Um, but How high was that mountain? Uh, oh, gosh, 19.6. You went to the top? Yeah, and so, the, yep, that's the goal. Um, and so it took a few, several days, uh, six up, uh, and then it was supposed to be two coming down, but I was in a hurry to get down, so we only took one <laughs> coming down. But then while we were there, I went to the Serengeti and Norgor Crater. Uh, so we did that this year. Uh, Finland with women's ice hockey. Um, trying to think, Peru, uh, so Machu Picchu with uh, Paralympic track and field this year. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting something, but yeah, we... Uh, we could just do uh, the show on that. Went to Dubai. That's uh, right, I did. With I world saw championships. Some That's an amazing, amazing city. Um, and then it kind of sounds bad, but almost in a way like the true American dream, just the way people from different races, cultures, languages, just melding together. And everyone was like, honestly, the nicest person you would ever meet everywhere you went. Uh, and so obviously in our social political climate today, it, it was a start kind of refreshing trip in terms mm-hmm. of how it could be. Awesome, man. I tell you what, um, there it is. Sherry is been living like Forrest Gump. <laughs> she just has seen everything and uh, we, we all need to get on your level. So that's Well, I think these Aggies gonna, are gonna rain me in a little bit now. Yeah, you'll, I, you'll definitely be a little busier. <laughs> yeah, a little sure, little so. bit busier, yep. Well thank you for sharing that. Uh, I'd I'd love to just kind of change gears a little bit. Just looking over your resume and hearing your story You've had some really cool roles and positions over your whole uh, your work timeline. What was it like working in the college setting, the private setting, and then also within USA Hockey? Kind of what what was that like? Was there some differences? Kind of expound on some of that. Yep. Um, so been very fortunate with every role I've been able to have and the opportunities to learn and grow both personally and professionally, but there are obviously differences with that. And so kind of alluded to the collegiate setting, just having that opportunity to work with people and really help them develop long term. Mm-hmm. And because you have that kind of time and then just that immersion in it, you're seeing people, you know, every single day. And, and especially from an athletic training standpoint, we are helping them on every level from mental health. We're working with the dietitians from a new Uh, nutrition standpoint Uh, and then we're often with them at kind of their darkest moment when they get injured Mm -hmm. and we're helping them mentally emotionally through that process all the way back to one of their greatest moments when they get to return and and get back to the level that they want to be at so we get to kind of ride that whole wave with them Um, versus in like the private setting at Exos again had great opportunities to learn and grow with other amazing professionals and then uh, career professionals, but then also professional athletes and, and learning from the best in the business, both uh, in strength conditioning, sports medicine, but then also the best in the business skill coach-wise and then athlete-wise. Um, 
but again, we're somewhat limited in what we're able to do with them in that in that private setting. Um, and then depending on you where you are and, and your situation, sometimes uh, it could potentially be more about the financial aspect of that versus maybe what's best for a particular individual. Um, and so for me at this point in my career, that, that, that's kind of where I wanted, wanted to land is to be able to see that whole growth and development process. Yeah, what would you say, because uh, we run into it, and I'm, I'm sure you do too, we run into professionals wanting to make the jump from the private sector into the collegiate or the professional. What would you say, or what are some challenges or sometimes, I think, roadblocks? And then how would you kind of work, how would you, what advice would you give? I, I think for me, seeing that process is it as a private person in the off season, we're we're not having to worry about an in-season sports schedule. We're not having to worry about the skill coach and what they're trying to do in a practice session and recovery and, mm-hmm. and regeneration from that standpoint. We're working on recovery and regeneration, but it, it's a different viewpoint versus a strength coach in a collegiate setting. You're dealing with uh, NCAA rules in, in regards to the number of allowable hours, contact hours, uh, and then also what's going on with a actual position or skill coach um, if that position skill coach practice has been super hard, you might have laid out a plan that was also uh, in the weight room fairly aggressive that day. But if they got crushed on the basketball court that day, then you might have to take a step back. And so it, I feel like, really changes uh, how we periodize uh, over a season in, in that situation. From a sports medicine standpoint, we're kind of dealing with the same thing, especially from a, a rehab standpoint, is trying to help someone uh, get back to where they want to be if they have already return to play, but working around that coaching schedule at the same time. Yeah, I kind of like to say it. I don't know if this is accurate. You can correct me. Um, but I think you, I feel like you you lose some autonomy, would you say? Yeah. Coming out of private in the, the collegiate. Not that you can't do what you want to or believe in, but there's there's head coaches you got to you got to deal with and, and kind of manage. And there's a performance team that you, you need to make sure that you guys are all on at least the same page yeah. with some of the, the objectives. Would you agree? Yes. And it's become the constant communication between uh, sports site counseling on the dietitians, uh, the skill coaches, position coaches, individual coaches, uh, strength conditioning and athletic training. And so it's everybody coming together and working together as a team. And we can all make each other better if we're having that level of communication that, that has that athlete at the center of that and their best interest at heart. Yeah, I think that's that's it. When you I think when you boil it down, it's gotta be like it's gotta be athlete centric in decision making, objectives, goal setting, planning, periodization, recovery. I think that's 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 spot on. Um, you kinda touched on this earlier, Sherry. Kinda talk a little bit about uh, your philosophy and maybe how it's changed from when you started to where you are. What what's kinda happened? In there, what what kind of influenced you? Yep. Uh, so I mentioned before I was an athletic trainer first, and then went to PT school during that time frame. Uh, massage therapy, a strength conditioning certification, uh, and. You know, I really felt like I had this uh, movement-based approach and returned to play and thought I was, you know, really dialed in on all of that. And then um, I got to Exos and uh, I think probably first day uh, as a speed coach. I mean, he, he is the guy in terms of NFL combine prep training. I uh, was doing a multi-direction, change of direction drill, and he was 
you know, helping an athlete get in the proper position. And I was sitting there just absolutely mortified because from a PT perspective, the way that I thought he was coaching it was setting that athlete up to injure their knee. And fortunately, I didn't open my mouth and just sat there and listened and really learned what he was talking in terms of getting in the proper alignment, joint mechanics to be able to make that change of direction. And I realized he was right and that I was maybe going to have to make a little shift in how I was uh, helping to rehab these athletes uh, because it was very much, let's not get injured. Let's not put too much stress on that knee so that you don't have perhaps like patellofemoral type pain, but at the same time, by how I was coaching them up, it was going to make them less successful from a performance standpoint. So it was at Exos really helping to mold me to not just consider the uh, pain portion of it or the rehab portion of it, but how to help set that athlete up to not only reduce injury risk or return from an injury, but also how to set them up for a high level of performance. Uh, so while I was there, I think that that first uh, year that I was there was pretty much like getting hit with a, a fire hose, uh, just taking in all the information, all the education I could, both internally from the existing staff in those facilities, but then also just the sheer number of people that, that came into our facility externally that we had the opportunity to learn from while we were there. Yeah, you touch on a good point, and I want to bring this back up and just get your thoughts on it. But Because if I hear you correctly, you're talking about a performance-based model versus like a therapy-based. Absolutely. Is that correct? Yeah. And I know it can be controversial, for right. sure. And I've heard both sides of the coin, like, let's build, let's get some prehab, let's get some exercises that are preventative, then we build from there. You talk to the performance people, and they're like, no, we, it's all about performance and, and drive that, and we got to be better athletes, and let's not worry about this piece as much. Give us your thoughts on that just over over time and kind of where you are maybe currently. Yep. Uh, so really through that exos-type model, I really learned that you can't separate sports medicine from uh, strength conditioning, from performance. Uh, to be able to function at a very high level, all of those have to be molded together. And uh, there's been some great pieces from Eric Cressy and, and different people that have kind of touched on this in some of their social media posts. But I personally believe those can't be divided out, that if um, you're going to function at a very high level. Um, we may be safer uh, doing certain things from a rehab perspective, but I think long-term, and most of the evidence will indicate long-term, that if we continue down some of those paths, that we might look really good on a table or a very closed-type skill, but if we're trying to do something in a reactive manner, as mm -hmm. an example, that those performance models are typically going to reduce our injury plus aid in the performance benefits. Yeah, and... Um that's pretty, that's pretty powerful. I think to touch on kind of what I hear you saying, too, is that, and you said this in your story just now, that you've got to be humble sometimes and be open-minded, right? Yeah. I mean, I always it's like... that I, whole growth mindset that we hear so much about. Yeah, and it's, I think the one of my favorite quotes about your mind is like a parachute. If it's not open, it's not going to be useful for anything. <laughs> I've not heard that, but I like it. Yeah, and I, so I think that's what I keep hearing you say, that you are the kind of practitioner, you're always trying to get better, and you're not saying this is the only way we can do this. And I tell my students that I'm an equal opportunity th thief. I steal from everybody. I like it. Everybody's I like got it. something to learn from. And kind of a more relevant topic to piggyback on what you just said, you know, there's a in collegiate settings, and, and I'm sure you've heard some of this, you'll even hear it more, there's been a lot of, um, whether it's controversy or a lot of light brought on just athletes 
not being trained properly, injuries happening, what certification is the best certification. And I think certification is a piece of the puzzle, but I really feel like another bigger piece of the puzzle is the culture and the relationships between performance team. Yep. And so at Exos, they talked a whole lot about checking your credentials or your certifications or your degrees at the door. Like those don't matter uh, as long as we're working together as a team with, with that athlete best interest at heart and you know I'm a physical therapy I'm licensed in multiple states to 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 do that I've taken a ton of continuing ed that's very PT rehab based a lot of manual therapy stuff but to be honest the things that I've learned and that I tend to use the most in my actual clinical practice really comes from a whole bunch of strength coaches that I've had the opportunity to work with through USA Hockey you know Jimmy Radcliffe at University of Oregon Vern Gambetta Cal Dietz were just USA Women's Hockey were the guys that I was able to learn from Uh, same thing Mark Mustagan obviously at Exos and then that whole crew of, of guys there like uh, going to the, the Perform Better conferences and the folks that have learned from there. But honestly, the majority of my continuing ad that I use on a daily basis has come from strength coaches. Mm-hmm. And so just That's because I have a, a PhD and a DPT in physical therapy doesn't mean that that's all that I do or what's actually in the best interest of, of a particular athlete. Yeah, that's good, Sherry. Yeah, you have definitely been around some just some really quality coaches and people in different, uh, way different systems. Uh, from what I'm, what I'm hearing yeah. you say, just so all those guys do things way differently, they and do. but there are some simil- similarities in there, and they're all just trying to to win uh, at the end of the day. So yep, and what I've learned over time is different athletes respond to different methods or modalities. Mm-hmm. I think honestly, some of the principles that those guys all have uh, are more similar than what maybe even they would want to agree on, um, but they do often use different methods to to get there, and mm-hmm. different athletes respond to those differently. So it's that's the art of what we do, not not just the research and the, the science of it. Yeah, that's good. Let's talk a little bit more specific about just athletes in general. Um, so as a, as an athletic trainer, you've, you've definitely worked a lot of strength coaches. Overarching, what have you seen that makes the biggest difference in helping athletes, uh, helping uh, people become better athletes? You're, um. I had a uh, graduate assistant when I was an undergrad uh, who was a physical therapist. She had come back to become an athletic trainer before that uh, internship Mm -hmm. uh, pathway had disappeared. Uh, And she made a statement uh, very early on uh, when she was there that year that she honestly didn't believe that it had anything to do uh, with what we did treatment modality-wise that determined whether or not someone got better. It was all about the relationship that we had with the person. If the, the patient liked us they were more likely to get better than they believed they believed and so we talk a lot about the placebo effect like this treatment doesn't work it's just a placebo effect there's a lot of discussion around that right now in, in the manual therapy world but honestly i don't care what helped them get better as long as they're getting better and we're going down that pathway to reduce injury risk and enhance performance. So if it's just because they like me, I'm okay with that. Uh, So for me, that's probably the biggest place is to be able to develop that relationship. We're not all going to get along, but as long as they know that I have their best interests at heart and I respect them as a person and a human, um, then I feel that's going to go a long way in, in getting there. Yeah, that's good. What, what about, so if you flip that a little bit and again, just, this is very, a general and broad, but like just keeping athletes healthier. Yep. What have you seen kind of some of the, what are some things that when you look at an athlete, 
uh, that's healthy, that maybe I've seen athletes that's injured, you know what to do. You're going you're gonna to assess and address that and put a plan together, but just keeping athletes healthy. Uh, I think probably one of the biggest shifts in the last few years is the focus on some of the, the sleep studies and, and making sure that our, especially our collegiate athletes who have a huge uh, demand in the classroom as well and the social aspect of what goes on at a campus. So making sure that they're getting plenty of rest, recovery, sleep uh, is probably going to go the longest way in, in uh in both enhancing performance and reducing injury risk. Uh, there's a lot of different theories on the different recovery methods of whether or not we should be foam rolling, cold tubbing, uh, recovery boots, all those sorts of things. Uh, and and I really like how Cal Dietz approaches that in terms of you need to find something that works for you. Some athletes will respond really well with a cold tub, but if you put an athlete in a cold tub and they <gasps> tense up, that, that person tends not to recover very well, recover very well, and he's correlated that with some Omega, omega Wave uh, yeah. test as well. And so basically finding something that that athlete responds well to in terms of their recovery. Yeah, no, I've seen that over the years too. Just some athletes, I've had athletes that don't really respond well to massage. Yep. Makes them feel he- heavy-legged and you know, dead-legged on... on, We have several on the women's ice hockey program that would, for their soft tissue, would much rather get a big old needle stuck in there and it piston and twisting, so some of the dry needling techniques, and they would rather to get a massage, deep tissue or otherwise. So they all respond differently. Yeah, every athlete, yeah, they just, it's a different body, different, and it's it's just wired differently. And some of the, and that is that wiring, it's that neurological aspect of it, whether somebody's more sympathetic versus parasympathetic, I think really plays into that are they more type a type b that's mm-hmm. going to influence what they respond to yeah that's good talk a little bit about um uh, you you've you've definitely repaired several or, or rehabbed several acls yep. uh talk a little bit about returned to play um what are some how do you kind of take somebody that's maybe tore the acl and talk about some of the protocols you do yep uh and so The protocols obviously have really shifted over time. Uh, I think when they first started doing the ACL, so it's probably more in your time frame back in the day versus you know mine, you know more recent. Uh, But back in the day when they couldn't move, they didn't let you move at all. Literally, they would cast you up to your hip for about six months. Uh, And so there's some great stories about some legends that had their ACLs reconstructed, like Pat Summit, who was casted, and you know for example, she was trying to to make it to the Olympic Games, and so her dad cut the cast off. And so because of non-compliant uh, athletes like that, we've learned over time that uh, movement and early reconditioning uh, is going to help get back mm. quicker, more safely, with less like uh, less likely to, to re-injure or injure the opposite side. Uh, and then also from a performance standpoint, uh, we often talk about kind of like this threshold where it takes really a full season to get back to your high level of performance. But what we've seen uh, is if we can get someone back integrated into uh, those movement-based drills really early on. So uh, someone may be as early as a week out, depending on range of motion, quad control, but doing some of uh, our movement-type drills, and whether you believe in wall drills or not in terms of sprint mechanics, but putting a post-op ACL person in that wall drill position and just even talking to them about acceleration mechanics and from that position doing a calf raise or a load and lift or a single exchange, working on just walking mechanics in that wall drill position 
I don't know if it's the physical aspect of that or even just the fact that we're talking about week one, we're working on sprint mechanics, if it helps them from a fear avoidance psychological standpoint. That's a big piece, yeah. Huge piece of it. So being able to integrate that stuff in very early on, uh, we've seen really great success with people not really needing that full athletic season to get back to that that high level of performance. I was very fortunate when I was at Indiana State uh, to work with the team position there that's also with the the Indianapolis Colts, uh, Dr. Uh, Tom Klutwick. And based on how a person looked, they might go back to, say, like racquetball uh, if they're a basketball player um, four, six, eight weeks after an ACL reconstruction. So they're reacting to a ball very quickly. Uh, and uh, one athlete in particular that uh, was able to come back after her ACL reconstruction and make first team All-American the first season back. Um, and so she didn't have that gap of needing a full year. And obviously athletes are different in that, but the sooner we can get them back mm-hmm. to doing some of our more movement-based type drills, marching, skipping, change of direction, um, feel like the performance outcomes are better. I also feel like they're less likely to get injured. We look at sports like women's soccer, that the re-tear rate is so high. The contralateral tear rate is so high. That's crazy. Often concerned that it's because of the actual rehab process that we're not getting them reconditioned quickly enough, uh, and then we're returning them to sport. Yeah, that's uh, the the one thing I've seen with the ACLs just in my years is just getting – I think the reconditioning is getting, especially for females, it seems like it's so much harder to get that mass back up, the quad mass, the the leg mass. I personally haven't had an issue with it, but it goes back for me personally to my experience with Dr. Clotwike and the protocol and what we were allowed to do very early on. And again, it depends yeah, if sooner. they if they have a lot of pain and a lot of swelling, that's going to limit it. It's that reflexive inhibition. If there's pain or swelling, the brain knows something is wrong and that quad just won't fire. And so we have to get them over that hump first. But uh, if we're able to do that quickly, then it seems to make a huge difference in that that quad mass. Yeah. And I know what, you know, because I, I tore my ACL in college and uh, we did a lot of like leg, the, what was the old school machine? The medieval, the, the, the Cybex machine. Uh, yeah, the isokinetics. Oh, yeah, yeah. That would, uh, that thing gave me the worst tendonitis. <laughs> and so we've moved away from that Dang, in, yeah. uh, in the rehab I setting. Got to take all the bullets and do it wrong. No. <laughs> we, uh, a lot of physicians will still have it as part of their protocol, especially for testing and return to play, making sure that there's symmetry in quad in the quads, uh, bilateral, yeah. hamstrings bilaterally, and that, that ratio. And it's part of their protocol to, to make sure that they're within a certain percentage range. Uh, just just like a lot of them will have different single leg hop, horizontal hops, uh, vertical jumps, that sort of thing, uh, looking for that asymmetry side to side. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of the actual rehab process, uh, I think people are not using it quite as much just yeah. because that open chain position is not a it's functional movement yeah. and it is tough on the tendons. Yeah, it wears it down quick. So um, changing gears a little bit again, you've, like, you've worked with some really – really high-level teams. As a leader, what have you done in the past to help build really good relationships with your head coaches? Um, 
And so every situation is obviously different, but I think that level of communication and then the earlier that you're able to start that, uh, kind of setting the expectations of what they're looking for from the sports med uh, staff in terms of how frequently uh, and what level of detail, like some coaches want the nitty gritty, like everything that's going on. And the other ones are, can they go or can they not? Uh, So setting those expectations early on in terms of what they're looking for. And then, you know, you're not always going to agree on whether or not somebody's ready to go, but being able to respect their position and their stance on it. And at the same time, being able to communicate with them why someone physically just isn't ready to go and be able sometimes to demonstrate that either with maybe something as simple as a video looking at the differences asymmetry or some sort of objective test you know we're very fortunate now that the the cost of some of the force plates for example the force decks are at such a level that it's pretty easy for us to be able to can quantify it and coach she's 50 percent different she might actually look pretty symmetrical but just with the naked eye and that's what they're seeing but here is the force output and here's the difference side to side if we have that kind of asymmetry she's three times more likely to get hurt so we can't go there yet do you want her for this game or do you want her for the rest of the season yeah so not that they would ever be difficult (laughs) the head coaches are never difficult and demanding but if there were some out there i've experienced it if there was how, how have you managed and worked through some of that what have you learned and how have you kind of You have to have a thick skin. Uh, There was a really great photo that was on Google Images for a while. I haven't checked in a while uh, of me getting screamed at by a certain football coach. Uh, It was during a practice. I used to always put it in my uh, PowerPoint presentations because I thought it was funny. Um, But that was the key with that. Like I didn't take it personal. Like I didn't take it home with me. Well, probably did at the time. But you know, I got over it quickly. Um, and, and that's the way it is. The coaches have a job. They have a responsibility. Their contracts are usually based on win losses. And if that's their number one athlete that they're trying to get back and mm-hmm. they know that that's has the potential to influence a game, then, then emotions sometimes run high. But as a sports medicine professional, sometimes you just have to kind of let it roll off. And I've never had an issue where a coach blew up like that. And then we were not able to have a civil conversation later. They usually simmer down. They come back and apologize. That particular coach came back and apologized profusely for it. Um, And so you don't, you can't own it and make it a part of who you are as a person after something like that happens. Yeah. And that's something I've always just working with athletic trainers through the years. You guys have the wonderful job of having to take some of the most difficult information. You're basically like a messenger. Bad news bear. Yeah. And you, in, in, Unfortunately, most of the time you're not giving good news, and I just I got so much respect for you guys because that is a that's a tough position to be in. But I also feel like it takes uh, a certain quality of person to be able to deliver that news, and not if you get a coach that's in the heat of the moment, he's emotional and they don't understand, they don't like what they're hearing, they're they're kind of come back at you with guns blazing, but they're not really personally attacking you. They're just they're just kind of frustrated venting. Yeah. at the situation. And that's yeah. how we have to look at it. Um, they're not happy with the situation. And, and in that moment, it's their ability to vent. And then they move on and we move on and we circle back later. That's good stuff, Sherry. That's uh, definitely a lot of people can take away from that. Um, so just professional development now. What do you do? You kind of mentioned some of it. Uh, what is your kind of big 
go to? Um, are you a reader? Do you like clinics? Are you you like to kind of do more uh, roundtable stuff? Kind of lead us into because you're definitely very intelligent and sharp uh, a, a woman and. Talk about that for a minute. Uh, I kind of joke about uh, being maybe not the most appropriate term, but a continuing ed whore. I uh, yeah. circle about <laughs> trying to surround myself <laughs> I, with I've as many many people That's as great. I can, uh, and, and try to be selective in, in going to and in, in spending my money, I guess, and my time uh, to to be at places where I'm really interested in a, what a certain person or speaker has to say or a, or a topic. Um, and so we mentioned perform better they have an unbelievable selection of, of people yeah. that are there delivering it's Chris Poirier they do a great job oh, huh? they do an amazing job with that uh, so that's an, another one you know I mentioned I went to a bunch of PT stuff uh, for professional development but again what I use on a daily basis that perform better one is one of them that I've really found value in um, I read a ton um, in every imaginable topic from specific exercise physiology different biomechanics mechanics stuff, uh, all the way to different leadership type books, um, and sometimes just straight fiction, um, and you can pick up different life stories uh, from those that kind of have meaning, yeah. and, and something that you can kind of chew on and, and, and apply to, to, to your daily life. Um, and then I've been very fortunate uh, to, to have the opportunity to do some different online type things and different courses as well. I'm a big reader. Anything you read recently that kind of stands out? Anything comes to mind? Um, it can be work or leadership or whatever. Yeah. So recently, because every year I read one book at the beginning of the year because it's a very quick read. And for me, kind of like that, I'm not a huge New Year's resolution kind of person. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not big on that either. But yeah. Victor Frankl's uh, book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. I've uh, got to read that. I love the quotes from it. It's good. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I, I cry every time. Um, but it is a very powerful book. And uh, I read it every year at, at the What's the thesis, kind of the, the nutshell? Uh, he was a Holocaust survivor, but yeah. he, before he even went in, uh, he was a psychologist. And so uh, he basically found the purpose for in his mind, uh, purpose for our life. And so obviously with my medical background, um, it had a lot of meaning for me as well. But um, we have to find purpose uh, in whatever we're doing and whatever situation we're in. And, and through that, find so many, some sort of meaning in, in whatever we're going through in life um, yeah. and a purpose in it. Yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to write that one down for this year. Thanks for sharing that. Um, well, Sherry, we're kind of coming close to the end of the, the show, and uh, this has been a great conversation. Just moving forward, um, where could, if people want to reach out, they got more questions, they'd like to connect with you and just, just kind of see what you're up to, just follow you. What's the best way that people can connect with you? Yep, uh, probably the best way is through email, and it's just uh, S as in Sherry, so S Walters at athletics, plural, uh, dot T-A-M-U, so Texas A&M, Texas A&M. University, <laughs> .edu. So it's swalters at athletics.tmu.edu. All right. Can, uh, you, can you say what they say at Texas A&M? Can you say gig them yet? Can you say it? I got gig em, We got howdy, howdy. And we got whoop. Whoop. All right. Yep. Well, folks, Sherry Walters, you're awesome. Uh, thank you for making time. If you have never uh, met Sherry, if you've never heard her speak, any more speaking engagements coming up? 
You got um, you're at our clinic, but then anywhere y'all's else? clinic, and then I kind of need to figure out my life with this uh, this new position at Texas A and M, and then hopefully be able to get back out there once I kind of know yeah. the ebbs and flow of a collegiate setting again. If she slows down at some point, she'd be somebody I would highly recommend bringing in, uh, not just to speak, but just to to dialogue with and collaborate with. She's an incredible person and a great coach and athletic trainer and just. She'll impact your program for sure. And Sherry, thank you for your time again. Appreciate you, Donnie. And you go ahead and say what you say over there in agony. Whoop. And hook them. Gig them. That's right. It's been real. We'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Team Behind the Team podcast. For future episodes, go to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. We definitely want to keep having great guests on the show and great content. So if you have a moment, please go to iTunes, leave a rating and review, and let us know how we're doing. I'm Donnie Mabe, and thanks so much for tuning in.